0: Yeah.
1: hath made so let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'm delighted to be with you tonight and I appreciate so much you tuning in. As always I pray that you will be blessed both by the word and the music. Would you please hear the reading of God's word. This is a long passage tonight it comes from Daniel chapter 3 and I'm going to begin reading at verse 8. Accordingly at this time certain Chaldeans came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O King, live forever. You, O King, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, and trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble, shall fall down and worship the golden statue. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These pay no heed to you, O King. They do not serve your gods, and they do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought those men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, and you do not worship the golden calf that I have set up? Now if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the statue that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden stature that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with rage against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face was distorted. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than was customary and ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So the men were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was so overheated, the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego but the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down and bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, Was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? They answered the king, True, O king. He replied, But I see four men unbound, walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the fourth has the appearance of a god. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me please now for a word of prayer. Lord, again we offer you our thanks for this day. You are so benevolent and so good to us. We are grateful that we are awakened this morning. We are here alive and we are grateful, O oh God, that you will use us as we allow you to use us. So I pray that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord, which are thy strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. A little boy who was asked about his favorite Old Testament story said he didn't know all the details, but of one thing he was sure. It was about Shadrach, Meshach, and a petticoat. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't know where I first heard that story. I guess I must have heard it when I was in Sunday school as a child. They have been called the children of Israel in the fiery furnace, and their story is quite Fascinating. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, along with Daniel, were outstanding captives in sort of a prisoner of war situation in Babylon. As usual, some of the captives had gained favor with the army who was in charge, and that was true of these captives that I'm speaking of. Old Nebuchadnezzar the king was about as fickle and insecure as any king will ever read about in history. For some reason he decided to build a 90 foot tall and 9 feet wide golden statue, and he set it on the plain of Dura and then he sent out an issue of order to all of his officials that they were to come and to worship this statue when the music began to play. If you didn't do it you would be tossed into a blaze of fire. Well the day came and the order was given and all the people came and all of them bowed their heads. And they bowed before this golden statue, But some people didn't close their eyes. And so they happened to see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not kneeling down. And so, like good tattletales, they went and told the old king what they had seen. Now King Nebuchadnezzar called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego immediately. Called them in and said, listen, if you will bow down to this statue, everything will be alright. But these three said that they were not going to bow down and that their trumpeters could save their breath. And then they put it in these words. Listen to what they said to the king. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Well, you can imagine that old King Nebuchadnezzar went absolutely bananas. So he had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bound. And then he had the furnace stoked seven times, hotter than it had ever been. And had his guards take and put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. And as they were opening the door, it was so hot it killed all the guards. At any rate, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell into the furnace. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar, after a while, became curious and so he peeped in and what he saw astounded him. He didn't see three men, he saw four men. Four men. And he couldn't believe it. So finally when these three came out of the furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you can imagine the mindset of Nebuchadnezzar and all the people. Here they were, nothing was burned about them. They had their hair was not even singed. Their clothes were still pressed. They didn't even have the, the smell of smoke. And absolutely, these people were astounded at what had happened to them and what their God had done for them. Now, this ancient story gives us three great truths. There are many, but these are three that God has given to me. First of all, there are no permanent victories. When the end of Daniel chapter 2 we see that Daniel has interpreted the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, and he's made such an impression upon him that he has appointed him one of the rulers of the province. And at Daniel's request, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were also appointed administrators of the province. But then all of this suddenly changed. While they were celebrating, all of this changed. That was this golden stature episode. This golden stature episode, and you know what happened with the golden stature episode. Suddenly, everything turned on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, there are no permanent victories. No matter what the situation, there are no permanent victories. My wife, when my wife and I lived in Dallas, Texas, there was a basketball player named Roy Tarpley. Roy Tarpley was considered when he entered the NBA draft to be one that the Dallas Mavericks could build their whole team around. As he fulfilled his dream, he would also become a member of the dream team in the Barcelona Olympics. But you see, he didn't fulfill his dream. And when that Barcelona Olympics came, he was not even playing basketball. You see, he made the horrible mistake of thinking there were permanent victories. He said, whenever I had a success, he said, I went out and partied all night. He made the mistake of thinking that you can have a permanent victory. It is said that when people climb Mount Everest, that there are a few fatalities on the way up. But he said when these people arrive at the summit and they see how beautiful everything is, they begin to think it's the final destination. And on the way down, on the way down, many of them die because they are not as careful as they were going up. And that becomes a problem. Irvin Berlin stated it well when he said the toughest thing about being a success is to keep on being a success and this is true of nations, it's true of sports franchises, it's true of marriages, it's true of churches, it's true of everything else that we know of. We Americans have a tendency to pick out a few crucial events in the birth of our nation as if it could be summed up on a few of the celebrations of the 4th of July. But if we read American history carefully we will find out that our heritage is not based just on a few major battles in the center. It's on many skirmishes on the edges and on the fringes. If you read American history fine enough, you will find that there are many, many nameless people who committed toilsome acts of bravery that made this nation what it is today. That's our heritage. Pat Riley, who was once the coach of the Los Angeles Lakers professional basketball team, Reported that there was a difference between the 1984 national champion Lakers and the 1985 Lakers who reported for string training. He said the 1985 team that reported to spring training, these were the people he said who took their success for granted. He said they would say things like, Well, we beat Boston, we beat Boston in Boston, we beat Boston when Larry Bird, the greatest player who ever played, or at least one of them, was on that team. They took their success for granted. And the coach said, You could see their complacency. It started building up. They wouldn't run for loose balls. They wouldn't practice as hard. Some people would arrive late and leave early. He said, And then, fully, the disaster happened. He said, On the very night they received their 1984 National Basketball League champion rings, they had been beaten by one of the worst teams in the cellar, 34 points. You see, This basketball team thought that there were permanent victories and they realized there were no permanent victories. Not long ago, I read a challenging book called Unlearning Church by Michael Slaughter. He suggested that we in the church need to learn some new ways to minister. He said we need third wave churches, third wave churches. He said the first wave churches are replication. He said these are the churches that came from Western Europe. These churches came to America, they imported their church over here. The methodologies, the worship and all that was adopted by the church here, and that was the first wave. He said the second wave was proclamation. This was the churches that arrived through the first and second awakenings in America, and this church is at a zenith in the megachurch. It's centered around proclamation to spectators. But he said the third wave churches that we need are demonstration churches. They're not so much involved with the masses as the individuals. In other words, they have to do with social action and compassionate service. What he's saying is if the church itself needs to understand there are no permanent victories, and I'm afraid the church in America is realizing that even now as the church declines in our society, there are no permanent victories. And what about marriage? You know, marriages often begin when they are warm and close. But over the years, somehow, if they're not careful, they will become cold and businesslike. I want to share with you something that I like. It's called the seven stages of a cold in the life of a married couple. The first year, the husband says, Sugar, I'm worried about my little baby girl. You've got a bad sniffle. I want to put you in the hospital for a complete checkup. I know the food is lousy, but I've arranged for your meals to be sent up from Rosini's. It's all arranged. The second year, listen, honey, I don't like the sound of that cough. I've called Dr. Miller, and he's going to rush right over. Now, would you go to bed like a good girl for me, please? Third year, maybe you better lie down, honey. Nothing like a little rest if you're feeling bad. I'll bring you something to eat. We got any soup in the house? The fourth year, look, dear, be sensible. After you've fed the kids and washed the dishes, you better hit the sack. Fifth year, why don't you just take a couple of aspirin? Sixth year, If you'd gargle or something, instead of sitting around barking like a seal, seventh year, for heaven's sake, stop sneezing. What are you trying to do, give me pneumonia? As I said, marriages often begin warm and cozy, but over the years, they can become cold and calculating and business-like if we are not careful. We need to keep in mind there are no permanent victories. And then the second thing I want to say from this story to you is idols can be a problem. Idols can be a problem. Let me ask you something. Why were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego cast into the fiery furnace? Answer to that question, because they refused to bow down to idols. Now, what is an idol? Timothy Keller says, it's anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God. Think about that. That could be anything, couldn't it? It could be our family, our children, our spouses, our grandchildren, our money, our profits, our romance, our sex, our success, our power, our Facebooks, even religion, anything that takes the place of God. A few examples will help us to understand what an idol is. If you look in the book of Numbers, you'll find a story about the children of Israel. They were wandering off in the wilderness. Well, we are told that because of their disobedience, Fiery serpents, snakes, attacked them, tortured them and attacked them. Well, Moses, under the direction of God, pulled out a bronze serpent or snake and put it at the top of a pole. Those people who were bitten by those snakes could look at that bronze snake and they would be healed. Well, that happened, but we don't hear much about this bronze serpent anymore in the book of Numbers. But centuries later, in 2 Kings, we find Hezekiah destroying that serpent pole. Why? Because at that point the people were bringing incense to it. Something that was intended to be a reminder of God had become God. So it had to be destroyed. And then there's Abraham and Isaac. You remember that story? Isaac was the son of the covenant. Everybody had been waiting for him. Years and years they had been waiting for him. Finally he was born. Don't you know there was great excitement and thrill when Isaac came into the world? But then what did God say to Abraham? He said, I want you to take Isaac to Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice Isaac. You see, Abraham had to supremely love God. If he had disobeyed, that would have meant that Isaac had become more important to him than anything else in the world, and that would have been idolatry. Now, I don't know if I've told you lately how much I love my wife. We've been married 50 and a half years. And I really love her. As a matter of fact, I love going home because she's there. But suppose one morning she would find my billfold open. And in that billfold, she would find a picture of another attractive lady next to hers. What do you think she would do? Would she come and just simply say, well, that's interesting, but after all, Hal has his right to privacy. Or do you think she would come down to my study and she would say, what is this? What is this? And suppose she found out that this woman and I were very close. I would look to her for support and encouragement. Do you think she would believe it if I said to her, I love you with all my heart? Now, Myron's my wife, and she has a perfect right to expect me to be faithful to her in every way. And besides, I made a vow and a commitment to her when we got married. I love her, and I made a commitment to her. Now, I want you to think about God here. God says, I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I love you at my cost, I gave my son for you, I'm your redeemer, and I want you please to never put anyone else before me, let me just be your God, let me just be your God. Timothy Kelly came along and said here are some of the ways we know whether we have idols in our lives. First of all, he says, we can look at our imagination. What is it we dream about when there's nothing else going on, what else do we really think about? Secondly, we can look at how we spend our money. Jesus said, where well, your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's pretty easy to know what our idols are, but where our money goes. And then thirdly, we can look at our profession of faith in God. What do we really believe? Not what do we profess to believe. What do we really believe and what do we really live by? And then the fourth way we can deal with our idols and understand them is in our uncontrollable emotions. Here's a businessman who has great success. He's made a lot of money. Everything has gone well. And then all of a sudden he loses it all. He loses it all overnight. Well, he just about cracks up. He commits suicide. He tries to commit suicide. As I said, an idol is anything that seeks to be a God alternative in our lives or that we allow to be a God alternative in our lives. Beloved, idols can be a problem. They really can. And then thirdly, authentic faith always rises above circumstances. Authentic faith always rises above circumstances. Listen again to these words. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods, and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a great faith. As a matter of fact, their faith was so great that they knew that if God Delivered them, that would be fine. But if God did not deliver them, they were going to die in that furnace. They were going to be faithful to God above all things. How important that is for us to understand. Hear me now. Authentic faith, though it may be terribly difficult, is committing oneself to God, regardless of what happens or how hot the fire may be. I remember the words of a Dallas physician when I lived in Dallas, Texas. He said, God heals in five ways. God heals gradually. God heals through remedy. God heals miraculously. If God doesn't heal us, He'll give us the grace to handle it. And if we die, He'll take us home to Himself. A minister was describing a, a woman in his church. Her name was Catherine. She was 98 years old, and she prayed like she breathed. One day she said to a minister, I pray like this. I just pray, Lord, I want this, and I want that, and I want this, and I want that. But she said, Lord, you know best. You know best. You are greater than I am, and you know more than I am. This was her homespun way of saying, God's will be done. So let me say that again. Though difficult it may be, our commitment is to God. Whether whatever happens or whether the fire grows hotter and hotter and hotter, our commitment is to God. Now, if we're going to have this kind of faith, then certain things are going to have to happen. First of all, that God is for us and not against us. You know, many people think God is against them. God is for us, not against us. Paul said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril of sword? No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Secondly, that God is with us, not always explaining to us. Did you hear that? God is with us, not always explaining to us. John Calvin said that God could have simply put out that fire in the furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would never have dealt with it. But God saved them in the fire, not from the fire. John Calvin said that God could have simply put a red carpet there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have walked out unscathed. And it would have been remarkable. But God again went into the fire with them in the presence of the fourth person. And then we need to understand that the authentic understanding of the New Testament is how can this be used? Whatever happens to us, how can this be used? You know, there's a story about Bill Clem, who was an umpire in the baseball league. He was really in charge when he was umpiring. And on one occasion when he was umpiring, there was a fellow that hit the ball out into left field. And then the runner on third ran to the home plate, hit head on with the catcher. And that was a great... Dust both created. Some of the people in one dugout shouted he's safe. Some of them in the other dugout shouted he's, he's out. But when the, the dust settled, Bill Clem had his hand raised and he simply said, he ain't nothing until I call it. That's the way it is with our lives. We ain't nothing till we call them. There are no permanent victories. Idols can definitely be a problem. And authentic faith will always rise above the circumstances. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Lord, once more, we offer you our thanks for this time together. We are grateful for this lesson from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Not a children's story, but an adult story that reminds us of what it means to be faithful. First, your faithfulness to us, and secondly, our faithfulness to you. I pray, O God, that you'd meet the needs of each and every person watching this program you would bless them and sustain them and use them thank you for this time together and your presence with us it's in your name amen again I want to thank you for joining with us tonight in worship and I pray this has been a blessing and that you'll share this ministry with your friends and that you'll have a very good evening the rest of the evening good night